This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. For parents, discovering that their teen cuts is terrifying. Why is their child doing something so macabre? Is it somehow their fault as parents? How can they talk about it without making the problem worse? It's really difficult for us to understand, but according to psychologist and Harvard Medical School professor Michael Hollander, hurting themselves makes some kids feel better. And while the majority are actually not contemplating suicide, they absolutely need help from qualified professionals and from their parents. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with Michael Hollander, who, in addition to everything else, is also a leading expert on what's called dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, which is the most effective treatment approach for cutting. We're going to be talking about what DBT is and what cutting is, and especially some practical strategies for talking to teens about self-injury without making it worse, and ways to teach them skills to cope with extreme emotions in healthier ways And, of course, we'll also talk about how you can find the right therapist and reduce stress for the whole family. Ultimately, we're going to end up with a deeper understanding of the causes of self-injury and, of course, what we can do about it. I'm Armin Brat. We'll start talking about how we can help and understand teens who cut right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this. From the MrTab.com radio network. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work. (laughs) I get it. You're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, one more if you're not physically active, another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes, another if you've got high blood pressure, if you're overweight, raise another finger, two if you're very overweight, and three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio pre-diabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Michael Hollander, who's the author of Helping Teens Who Cut, Using DBT Skills to End Self-Injury. Michael, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. So I think we need to start off with... DBT skills and what that is exactly. Yeah, I think you'll you'll also hopefully get into a little bit of a definition of what cutting is, and uh, but we'll sure. talk about that in more detail. Sure. So uh, DBT stands for dialectical behavior therapy, which is a, a cognitive behavioral treatment that was developed um, in the late '80s and early '90s, and now really is the gold standard uh, for treating people who, uh, among other uh, problems. Uh, use uh, self self injury. It is a uh, a treatment that is uh, based both on uh, change strategies. That is, when we can change something, we're going to try to change it, 
and also being able to uh, use acceptance strategies. That is, there are things in this world, problems that we have for uh, that we don't actually have solutions to uh, right then and there, and we have to be able to tolerate our distress when uh, we can't solve the problem right away. And that's the strategies that you're teaching kids who are dealing with this issue of cutting. That's exactly right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, then going backwards, about cutting, where it, where it comes from, why it is that kids have settled on that particular thing. Uh, I mean, is it, is it something that they, they know somebody else who's done it? Because well, I'm wondering, you know, what, like yeah. the first kid. How do you kid, find out about this? Well, like, where, how did the first child decide to do that? Well, it, it's hard to know how the first child decided to uh, to do that. Um, self-injury has been around for thousands of years, um, and so it is not a new phenomena, although we believe that it is uh, self-injury among adolescents is increasing. Uh, so there was a small study done maybe 10 years ago trying to figure out how kids came to this, and about 50% of the kids reported they had no idea how they came to it, and about 50% of the kids said either they knew someone, read about it, saw it in a movie, um, uh, discovered it, came across it on, on, the, on the Internet. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's very much out there. There probably are very few high school students who don't know of someone who has used self-injury uh, at least once in their in their lives. Uh, the the really the the astounding thing about self injury is that if you are really really emotionally spun up, jumping out of your skin, and you cut yourself, um, you will in all likelihood feel immediately better. That is, you'll get calmed down right away. So it's a very effective. Uh, behavior that um, is rooted in uh, our biology. Uh, we're not exactly sure why it works. There are huh. a number of uh, theories about it, but we are, uh, from what we can tell from biologic markers, it actually calms you down. It's not. Um, it's not the kids aren't making it up when they say, yeah. "When I do it, I, I I feel better after I do it," because they do. You know, it's it's interesting. I just all of a sudden I'm thinking of doctors in quotes from hundreds of years ago who used bloodletting as a cure for certain mm-hmm. kinds of things, and it it kind of makes you wonder whether there's something, as you said, f- physiological there that actually letting some blood out does somehow help. Something. Yeah, yeah, it it does seem that uh, the way we're hardwired that uh, uh, tissue damage can bring with it um, a sense of uh, calmness right right afterwards. But it's also true, I think, equally true, that there are some just psychological aspects of self-injury, uh, kids who feel they don't deserve things, kids who feel they need to be punished, uh, can reach for self-injury uh, as a way of uh, gratifying those uh, beliefs about themselves. So it both works psychologically and it works uh, physiologically, and uh, they probably go uh, together um, most of the time. Is it something that is confined to the teenage years or the tween years, or are there adults who do this as well? 
there are certainly lots of adults who self in, who self injure. Most of self injures start in the teen years, and, and actually we have some evidence that uh, kids are starting younger uh, to do this. And like how <clears throat> young? How young? Oh, uh, nine or ten, Ooh. even yeah. Um, but the majority of kids start in uh, early to mid adolescence. There is some evidence that it lasts on average about six years, whether you get treatment for it or not. Um, but in, in clinical practice, it's not uncommon to find someone who started self-injuring in their teens and has continued uh, through their early uh, adulthood into middle age. Is there a particular psychological profile of a child who does this? Uh, you're going to find uh, children who have a great deal of trouble managing their emotions. So, and uh, that is, they become easily emotionally dysregulated. Most often, it's the kids who, once an emotion shows up, the emotion takes over and uh, they're, at, they're at the sway of their emotion. There is another, another group of kids who are also emotionally dysregulated who have really suppress their emotions and feel mostly numb uh, and empty. And it turns out that for that group of kids, uh, cutting themselves actually makes them feel more alive again and, and back, in the, back in the present. You know, I want to go back a little bit to this, the bloodletting thing. I'm just, my, <laughs> there, there's this condition I remember reading about called uh, hemochromatosis, where you have too many red blood cells. And my, my father actually has something that's kind of like that. And he would feel really great after he gave blood. And yeah. I'm kind of wondering, I mean, it, it, it almost sounds as though this is a, a medical problem instead of a, a therapy problem. Uh how so a medical problem? I mean, a medical problem that there, you know, if, if it's a condition, if there's some enzyme or something that's going on well, in it, the blood, it, maybe there's a medication yeah. for it instead of something we don't else. Have any, currently, we don't have any medications for it. There have been uh, some tries with some um, uh, opioid, opioid antagonists like naltrexone, uh, which are, has been used, say, in the treatment of uh, alcoholism or opiate use, in which you don't get the relief uh, or the, the high from the, from the, from the drug. Uh, there was a, there's one or two studies that seem to indicate that that was useful in all of the trials that I've had experience with using uh, something like that. It actually hasn't uh, worked. And it may turn out that this is a universal phenomenon, uh, that, uh, that is, anybody would feel better after they cut themselves um, after being in this, under the sway of uh, intense emotions. So it, it, it doesn't the, – the jury's still out whether this is some sort of uh, biologic uh, deficiency or this is just the way uh, human beings are – Hardwired. Right, whether there's like some sort of blood marker or some a, a test yeah, that you we can don't take have any or evidence. A, a vaccine at some point. Yeah, we have no evidence huh. um, uh, about that. So you're saying that they're starting younger. Yeah. Is there any explanation for why that is? Well, it seems like everything's starting younger. <laughs> so, well, puberty, uh, I guess, and maybe it does it come yeah. along with that? Yeah, some, some of that. And I think that, uh, that you're finding um, kids get more plugged into social media. 
And it's it's always been the case that younger kids like to emulate older kids. And so I think there is a, a, probably an explanation hidden in there somewhere. And are there other types of self-injury that don't involve a cut that, yeah. that are common? Uh, th- that the largest uh, percentage of people who self-injure uh, cut themselves. But there are, there are people who uh, burn themselves. There are people who uh, break bones. Uh, uh, there are any number of, of ways that uh, you can um, bring the, the relief on from, from self-injury. And do you we, think... we actually call it non-suicidal self-injury, which, okay. which is that the person is deliberately hurting themselves but they have no intention to die. Talking with Michael Hollander, who's the author of Helping Teens Who Cut Using DBT Skills to End Self-Injury. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Michael. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask. Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. And 1500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound... Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You going to finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... (laughs) Sometimes, though. (laughs) You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Michael Hollander, who's the author of Helping Teens Who Cut Using DBT Skills to End Self-Injury. So I wanted to just go to the next level here. So how can parents have any sort of clue that this is going on? Because I know the kids are going to a great extent to cover it up. They're wearing baggier clothes or they're just not talking about things. Or, you know, what are some red flags here? Uh, Some red flags. Uh, If your kid, if you're, if you're worried about your kid's emotional state and, uh, you're living in a warm climate and all they're doing is wearing long sleeve shirts and long sleeve pants. That's a, a 
first level clue. I, I, I would encourage parents not to land too heavily on why are you, you know, wear, wearing a uh, long sleeve sh- shirt in, in, the, in the warm weather. But it is something that uh, parents uh, should think about. If they find broken razors, which often is the case, uh, in the house, you know, shape, uh, blades that have been broken broken apart. Uh, oftentimes, there are bloody tissues that are left around. Um, but it it is um, often the case that parents uh, don't find out until um, several weeks or even months uh, after someone starts to self injure. Injure. Uh, pediatricians often are the first to, to, to get it, or a kid starts talking with another kid about self-injury, and that uh, kid goes to a parent or somebody at the school, and, and, and the school finds out. So um, it, it, uh, parents need to be vigilant uh, to some degree, uh, and uh, in all likelihood, eventually, uh, they, will, they will find out. Are there particular, excuse me, are there particular places on the body that kids tend to do this? I mean, I know in manifestations in or representations in movies, it seems to always be the, the forearm, but are yeah. there other places that, yeah. that they K- do Yeah, kids this? cut on their, on their forearms, they cut on their shoulders. If, uh, if they, sometimes when kids really want to hide things, they'll cut on the bottoms of their feet. Uh, they'll cut on the inside of their thighs so that really... Uh, Except in the most scant, and when they're most scantily clad, uh, no one is going to to see it. But the the uh, most prominent uh, place is on the arms. All right. So let's talk about DBT and how this all fits in here, because I think that a lot of parents, if they discover that this is going on, the first reaction might be, "Are you out of your mind? What What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Are you crazy?" Kind of a thing, which is obviously the exact wrong approach, but it comes from a good place. yeah, it, it's certainly um, like actually a quite an understandable and natural response. But I think that the, the the response needs to be after you get over that part is clearly you're suffering uh, and your emotions are getting the best of you, and we need to get you some help to help you get your emotions back in in check. Uh, what we do know about the, the kids who self self injure is that they are by and large uh, the, on the more sensitive end of things. That is, they feel their feelings more deeply than most people. Uh, their uh, emotional responses are usually immediate, even though at times you may not be able to actually see it. But they usually feel things powerfully and immediately, and that once their emotions uh, rise, it actually takes them longer to get uh, down to baseline than non-self-injurers. We also know that uh, as a group, self-injurers are uh, better able to endure physical pain uh, than non-self-injurers. So I guess they have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, although, and it's interesting because about 40% of self-injurers, and and actually in my own experience it's been higher than that, but uh, about 40% of self-injurers report no experience of pain at the time of self-injury. Huh. That's just fascinating. Now, are, when, when you have the approach and you're, you're saying what you're saying to say, something like your emotions are getting the best of you, we need to get you some help, do they recognize that they have a problem? Uh, most, yes. 
Yes, even though they may not acknowledge that right away. Uh, most kids know that there is a problem with, with self-injuring. Uh, they oftentimes, as adolescents are prone to do, can get defensive and oppositional and say things that's like, it's my body, it doesn't, it's not hurting anyone, you know, I can do what I, what I, what I want. Um, but very few kids are sort of unambivalent about the behavior, uh, in part because it, they know it's going to have consequences, you know, scars and um, there are, while you can find a group of kids who, like, you, like yourself, may be self-injuring and you can sort of have a, a, a friend cohort, um, most of the time self-injury gets, uh, eventually gets kids more alienated from mainstream friendships. Why would that be? Because other kids think it's kind of weird. Makes or sense. that you've got a problem. Yeah. Nobody wants to hang out with kids who have problems, I guess. Especially when it's manifested that uh, that way. Um, and oftentimes uh, uh, friendships groups try to be helpful and supportive, but if the person isn't really getting the right kind of treatment or really hasn't turned their mind to stopping, uh, friends get burnt out. All right, so help, help us with, the, as parents how we can start using some of these DBT techniques? Well, for, for the most part, for parents, unfortunately, it's around two things. One is learning how to validate the kid's emotional experience, which means speaking to how uh, awful it must be to be so emotionally overwhelmed. Uh, and so you can validate the child's emotional experience without validating the legitimacy of the behavior. Um, so you, because basically uh, self-injury is a problem-solving strategy uh, and not a particularly, and a pretty good one in the short run, but actually doesn't change or solve your life problems. But for the most part, I think, so, so getting parents to get much better at, at learning how to validate and validate without jumping right to problem solving. Like, I understand you're really suffering, but there are things we have to do is not validating. So it just, parents need to stay with the uh, validating the emotions and then slowly move to let's get some problem solving in, in here. The other skill that parents really need to use is there is distress tolerance for themselves because Coming, uh, finding out that your kid is self-injuring sets m most parents uh, on edge, to say the least. And then when we're emotionally revved up as parents, uh, we're more prone to make parenting mistakes. Um, I can tell you there are, you know, there are, there are a few things that are helpful to, to parents uh, that they can do and a whole lot of stuff that parents can do that make the situation worse. Uh, so it's it, it, oftentimes with parents, it's uh, how not to make the situation worse. Ultimately, it seems like it's going to come down to the best approach is going to be for parents to get therapy for their kids. How do you find uh, the right person? It's so variable because it, de it depends on where you live. If you live in a large metropolitan area, it's it's probably easier to find a, a DBT therapist or a therapist who feels they have a competence in uh, treating treating self-injury. So the questions that parents need to ask uh, and try to find out are, 
is this person trained in dialectical behavior therapy? There is a website that's been developed now uh, on the behavioral tech uh, website, dbsbehavioraltech.org, that lists everyone who's been trained. And then there is also uh, a website for people who have been certified. But it's not, it's not essential that the person be a DBT therapist. What is essential is that they have some experience in treating adolescents who self-injure and can uh, articulate to the parents what their treatment approach is um, and whether they're actually targeting self-injury. Because there are some therapists um, who kind of take the position, well, since this is not life-threatening, we'll solve all the other problems that the kid has and self-injury will um, go away on its own. And the fact of the matter is, is that's probably true, but it takes a whole lot longer, and there's a whole lot more suffering yeah. uh, that, that, goes, that goes on. Michael Hollander is the author of Helping Teens Who Cut Using DBT Skills to End Self-Injury. Michael, thanks for joining us. It was really Hey, you're very welcome. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. You know that building things, whether it's a 3D puzzle, a metal replica of a pirate ship, a mini model of the Millennium Falcon, or a tower out of plain old wooden blocks, is one of the best ways to spend time with your children. But half of the fun of building something is knocking it down. Here are some of our new favorites to build and smash, plus a few others. Build or Boom from Proto Toys. Like a lot of games these days, this one starts with a card. In this case, it's a two-sided one that has a picture of a structure that both players race to build. Now, what makes Build to Boom so much fun, though, is that you do your building on special platforms that are connected to a simple pump that looks like a pile of dynamite. Hit the dynamite, and the tower falls. As you can guess, your opponent can blow up your tower, and you can blow up his or her. The game is a blast and comes with 30 cards divided into three levels of difficulty. But for younger children, it has the added advantage of being a great way to learn about shapes, patterns, and following directions. It's for two players, ages four and up, costs about $29.95. Kaboom from Blue Orange. Like Build or Boom, Kaboom starts with cards and involves building, blocks, and smashing. But the approach is very different. In this enervating game, it's enervating in a good way, one player tries to build as many towers as possible, using cards as models, within 30 seconds. Now that would be plenty of fun by itself, but while the builder is frantically building, the rest of the players are gleefully trying to knock over those towers using ammunition-launching catapults. 
If any of the towers remain standing after time expires, the builder keeps the associated card. In the next round, there's a new builder. Whoever has the most cards wins unless someone is able to build the Mega Tower, which is an automatic winner. For two to five players, ages six and up, costs about 16 bucks. Bricks from Blue Orange. Think tic-tac-toe, but add a dollop of color, a hint of sneakiness, and a few drops of inadvertent self-sabotage. You and your opponent are combining to build a wall of X's and O's. The first player to line up four of their symbol or four of their color, or both, depending on how complicated you want to make it, wins. The magic of bricks is the blocks themselves. Each orange X is attached to a blue O and vice versa. That means that when you place your piece on that oh-so-brilliant location, you're also putting your opponent's piece right next to it. The rules and gameplay are easy, but the strategy is really challenging. It's for two to seven players ages seven up, costs under $20. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Remote Control Skateboarding Mikey. In keeping with our theme of smashing and rebuilding, the best part about skateboarding Mikey is making him wipe out and then watching him get up all by himself so you can do the whole thing over and over again. It's for ages four and up, about 50 bucks at Amazon and other retailers. You can find reviews of many, many other toys and games that are great to do with your family at our website, parentsatplay.com. You can also drop us a line through that website if you've got a suggestion for us. We'll be back next week with another segment for you. Until then, I'm Armin Brott. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.